I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport in a week, where the second portion of the Sunshine Swing is very much underway in Miami. So we're better for David and I to meet than at BT Sport Towers in the sort of sunshine in sunny Stratford. Have you just noticed that how, having sat here for 45 minutes talking about what we're going to talk about, the sun has just gone behind a big black cloud? I've very much noticed, David, because yeah. my core cool temperature has just bro- dropped I by know. about uh, 12 degrees. And I've noticed <laughs> that you're now giving me daggers because it was my suggestion to we're sit both here. Wearing sunshi- uh, we're both wearing sunglasses in earnest, yes. but um, they're starting to look increasingly silly, silly by the minute. Uh, yes, we are in Stratford. The controversial London Stadium is uh, in our sights, over to our right, where uh, West Ham play their not particularly great football, but people in glass houses and all that. Uh, Over to our left is um, a casino, and um, yeah, Yeah. here we and up above us is now quite a lot of cloud. I think it might rain. And we've got absolutely no cover. Whatsoever. We tried our best to recreate uh, Miami conditions in London. That's what we're trying to do for you this week. Can we get a tennis, podcast, tennis podcast retractable roof that we sort of carry <laughs> around with us? I think that's called an umbrella hat, Is it? David. Okay. And uh, you're very welcome to get one, but I won't be seen with you while wearing it. Right. Um, so tennis has been happening in Miami. Lots of results to talk to you about. But certainly from a news point of view, David, I think we have to start with um, recent developments with Caroline Wozniacki, what she experienced in her match against Monica Puig uh, the other night, and uh, the response of the Miami Open tournament director, James Blake. So what happened was Caroline Wozniacki was playing Monica Puig from Puerto Rico. She had an awful lot of support in Miami because it is a sort of um, mini Latin America in uh, in the United States and um, Wozniacki ended up losing that match but afterwards she released a statement saying well I'll just read the statement for you because uh, she kind of says it all certainly in terms of her her experience she said last night I lost a tough match to a great opponent and friend Monica Puig at the Miami Open I'm fully aware that tennis is a game of wins and losses however during the match last night people in the crowd threatened my family wished death upon my mum and dad called me names that I can't repeat here and told my fiancé's niece and nephew who are 10 years old to sit down and shut the mm, up. Meanwhile, security and staff did nothing to prevent this and even accepted this to take place. While I always encourage fans to cheer for their favourite player and I thrive on a challenging atmosphere, when lines are crossed, it makes tennis miserable for both competitors. I hope the Miami Open chooses to take this seriously because it's a horrible example to set for the next generation of tennis players and fans. I wish Monica all the best for the rest of the tournament. Love, Caroline. Now, uh, the Miami Open did not release an immediate response. It was the next day, wasn't it? Um, They took their time, but this is what they came out with uh, in the words. I think it was later that day, but it it was certainly a few hours before... uh... I mean, I think what she did is she released her tweet about it the day after her match. Right, so it wasn't okay. an immediate uh, tweet from her in the first place, but it certainly took a couple of hours. I think they 
yeah, I think think it took, caught them on the hop, to be honest. I think it did, yeah, I think it did. So the statement from James Blake, of course, uh, the Miami Open Tournament director, is the security of the players is our number one priority. Last night's match between Caroline and Monica was played in front of a loud and passionate crowd. While I personally feel that no one should have to endure any sort of abuse on the court, we do our best to provide a safe and fair environment. During the match, we had tournament and WTA staff, as well as tournament security courtside. They never witnessed, nor were they notified of any specific threats made to the players or their families if we had been notified the situation would have been handled immediately it's not the statement I think the tennis world were necessarily expecting from the Miami Open or from James Blake I don't I think some people have been interpreting that statement as an accusation that Caroline Wozniacki is lying or inflating uh, the situation and the circumstances in some way I think personally think that's a bit of a stretch I think what they're saying is look well if you don't tell us what's going on uh, then how are we supposed to do anything about it but my assessment of that response is that's not quite good enough it's just insufficient Um, I I think we do have to say look I'm not wanting to question what Wozniacki said either but what we're getting is is her side of the story sounds wrong I'm not suggesting for a moment that she's creating this out of nothing but it is you know the the Miami Open is saying we, we we can't we can't speak about we we can't comment on what you're saying because we we've no evidence of it we've no experience of it on our behalf so what actually happened and what specifically was said is very difficult to get to the bottom of and as Wozniacki makes the point in her statement there there isn't a clearly defined line about what's okay uh, in the heat of battle, in in the heat of passionate crowds, and what's not, what she deems it to have not been okay for it to have been on the other side of the line. However, for lots of people, the line will be in very different places, especially depending on circumstance and all the rest of it. I, I think we can all agree that death threats are on the wrong side of the line. Yeah, and and uh, any comments towards people's family generally, you know, no thanks, and particularly if if comments are being made towards nieces and nephews who are 10 years old no no thanks um i feel first of all horrified that the you know if, if you are going through that level of, of of comment and it does happen from time to time i mean it, and and actually i do feel that i've i've reported at, at miami a number of times i've commentated there um when late night matches have taken place of which this is one where there has been a player I've seen Marcelo Rios play there. I've seen Juan Martín del Potro. And there's some seriously vociferous crowds who do make, on the whole, an absolutely sensational atmosphere, which you don't want to take away. We were talking about this last week as to where does the line come. Did the crowd in the the Federer against del Potro line overstep the mark in their support of Roger Federer? And and Kyrgios against Federer in Miami last year as well. So this sort of thing is, is not new in terms of of uh, a debating point some of the things she is accusing or the crowd of, of having done there that's that's not on as far as i'm concerned uh, the, the problem comes that and i don't know what has happened i don't know whether she has first come off the court and gone and complained to the miami open and told them her version of events and not had what she deems a satisfactory response and then has gone to social media or whether she's just taken stock overnight, been unhappy, and just let fly on, on social media. Because, I mean, it's a fairly considered uh, statement that she's put out there, but and she's done it overnight, which suggests she's t- spoken to her family, thought about what she's going to say, and said it. But I would Im- imagine, given the tone of, of James Blake's response there, in statement form at least, that perhaps they haven't been told uh, of, of what the issues are and the first they've learnt of it is on Twitter yeah which I think that's the issue isn't it the problem is the gravity of the accusations is, is pretty severe um, and look she has every she has every right to express how she feels on whatever social media platform she wants to however given the gravity of the accusation is the proper thing to do to report it you know to the necessary authority so it can be dealt with formally rather than dealt with in in the the court of social media and public opinion i think that is where the um chippiness of that response perhaps has come from we are filling in the gaps here but i suspect 
the, the chippiness and the slightly defensiveness of the response from the Miami Open comes from the fact that they weren't perhaps given the opportunity to, to deal with it in, in the proper way that they would have liked that to. They perhaps feel as though they've been slightly thrown under the bus there. Um, again, we don't know for sure that that's what happened, but that's what it feels like uh, until we, we hear otherwise. I, I must say, reading the statement, it surprised me that, that that has got James Blake's name next to it because we've had a number of dealings with him over the years. We've all seen him talk afterwards. He's a wonderful uh, speaker. He's intelligent. He's empathetic i feel you know he, he he that was a pretty cold statement in many ways and um i at, at least would would have expected the miami open to be saying if if caroline wozniak has gone through this we 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 very much sympathize and we will be investigating it and looking into it if i mean you know they may say well we can't really go back and find these people but at the very least to to be seen to be taking it seriously and trying to see maybe going and seeing caroline saying that we're going to go and see caroline talking to caroline and working out ways that that could not happen in the future yeah there's definitely been a communication disconnect hasn't there been mm. between caroline Wozniacki and, and the miami open and and all that we know for sure is that abuse of that nature is unacceptable um, and I think every right thinking person is pretty united uh, in responding that way I, I somehow feel that the matter isn't going to end there though no in terms of I mean, you know the, 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 are, poli- are, the, are the tournament going to get away with that being their final word on the matter well, and that's it I, look James again he's somebody who knows a lot of people within the media I would expect he's going to speak at some point he's going to do a post event debrief with the media and he's going to be asked about it and I think it's actually quite important that he is able to speak properly not just in statement form that read as though it was written for him and written by somebody who doesn't have the greatest feel for for what's required um, in in order to to satisfactorily deal with with that as on a public relations front and that slightly does him a disservice I feel He, he needs to be able to get out there and, and speak on his own behalf and uh, and I'm sure he would do a far better job than that Now while David was speaking there the sun came out went back in again and came out again Fantastic <laughs> We're back to the sunshine double uh, which, which I'll tell you what how hard is that thing to win because you know Naomi Osaka and Daria Kasatkina well, I mean I think Fair enough. Osaka managed to beat Serena Williams, who's clearly still well short of the level she will probably eventually get to, but then went out immediately to Alina Svitolina. Horrible draw, isn't it? (laughs) Serena followed by Alina Svitolina, and you're only in round two. Um, And Daria Kasatkina went out to a qualifier, I think, in the first round. So um, it's tough. They were the finest in Indian Wells. And we've lost uh, Roger Federer as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Of course, finalist. in uh, Indian Wells as well, losing out to Del Potro, who is still going strong. Now, Federer, after the loss to Tanasi Kokonakis, quite a match, and we will talk about Kokonakis in his own right, but first and foremost, he has uh, put all of our speculation to bed and confirmed that he won't be playing the clay court season and will miss the French Open for a third year in a row. Will we ever see Roger Federer take to the clay again, David. Well, I noticed... Oh, he's getting his phone out. He's I, I noticed, getting his phone out. I did notice, Catherine, that you asked that exact question on social media via a pole vault. Or was it's it me? Not accurate. Yeah, it was me who did that. Um, let's find the out what... The sun's gone in again. Let's find out what people have said. Uh, will Roger Federer ever play on Beautiful, clay um, professionally? It's not on a massive pier, is it? That's the sound one. Beautiful... Um, keep searching i'll give out metaphor. The, uh, the clay metaphor for my feelings yes the stats are uh blimey 1200 people have voted in this so far and uh 70 of people think that roger federer will never play another competitive clay court tennis match on the circuit again i'm asking what you think david what do i think yeah but i want to know what the people think why uh, because they don't have any more knowledge about they have less knowledge about matter. roger federer than you do so it, i'm interested uh, anyway, I'm with you, people. Uh, the the view I have is that no, I don't think he will, um, because and the own, my only my only belief that he might it, it would come from the fact that he might think, right, I want to do one more circuit of this tour and feel it all again, and go to go to Monte Carlo, go to Rome, feel these wonderful. Um, historical landmarks within the sport and just experience them one more time he's had so many good good years there he might want to do that one more but I think if on the balance of probabilities I'd say no because 
his view clearly is pick and choose your battles pick and choose your targets and his targets are grand slam titles at this stage in his career he's 20 years of age i think he also wants to hold number one but he's already there these are just adding more numbers but slams and experiences moments that's what he's after and they're more likely to come at the u.s open and at wimbledon yeah, he well, needs that's, a break. that's the point that student Matt, lovely student Matt, made on social media. He he thinks definitely not unless he decides to do a lap of honour. Um, in which case, the French Open for sure would feature. He yeah. Put, also, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I I I think you're right. Balance I, of probability. I wonder no. whether he. I'd love to get inside the mind of Roger Federer just for you know maybe for just half an hour and just find out whether he'd wavered at all when Rod, when Rafael Nadal was going through his He'll probably wander physically. over and chat to you before his first rounder at Wimbledon and you, you can, can ask slot him. that in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, um, Do spe- remind me about that. Speaking, if I... of, speaking of goats, David, greatest yeah. of all times, possibly, oh, yeah. speculatively, you have to say maybe because, you know, there's always somebody that pipes up and says, no, I think it was so-and-so back in 1922. Um, but uh, Serena Williams... Uh, the horror draw of Naomi Osaka in the first round in Miami turned out to be just that. And I, th- I think, in fact, turned out to be more of a horror show than she was hoping it would be. She, For Serena. M- she might not have been hoping to win Serena, but she lost out very decisively to Naomi Osaka. And as we understand it, as reported by media and on site, she jumped straight into a waiting car uh, and did not attend any kind of press conference and left in, in quite yeah. a fury. Have you, have you ever come across a player leaving a tennis court and actually seeing them get into a car and seeing the conversation that goes on as somebody's trying to convince them not to? I saw it happen when she lost to Roberta Vinci at really? the uh, US Open in 2015. Yeah. Did you? She did, actually, I have to say, she did stop off at a press conference for 30 seconds on that occasion. Oh, did she? She said, yes, no, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it twice. But it, was, but it only, I think, because it was on the way out. She would have had to walk past... Uh, I mean, it really was literally on her route out of the ground. So quick stop off, 30 seconds, see you later in the car. I've been the person twice who's had to try to intercept a player on the way to the car uh, and inform them of their media responsibilities and have them... Oh, because they're not aware, because they definitely don't know of their media responsibilities when they're headed for that car. If you don't tell them, you can't then find them if they say no. Uh, Thousand US dollars, David. That is the sting in the tail of Serena Williams' decision. Do you know who my two were? Goran Ivanovic <laughs> <laughs> in the Czech Republic in about 1999. I'm sure once you informed him of his media responsibilities, his mind was changed immediately. No, he just yeah. sort of looked in my eyes and he just said, no. And he just got in the chair, uh, the, the car and went. Uh, the other one was Mark Filipousis, uh, who told me to get out of his face, uh, at which point he then went to a St. Polton in Austria hotel room. Uh, I decided to leave him for half an hour, then call the hotel room and just say, Mark, just to, just to let you know, uh, you, you know, we really do need you back here to do your press comments. And before I managed to get to, hi, Mark, it's David Law. As I said that, he slammed the phone down. Um, at which point, about, I mean, and bear in mind, Mark Philippus is, as we both, I think, can testify to, he's, he's a lovely fella. He lovely really is. Chef, this was yeah. such a surprise at the time. I mean, this, is, this was at the height of his career. He just lost to Jeff Tarango. Um, <laughs> it didn't go down too well. Jeff was loving it. Um, but anyway, I saw him about a month later. And, uh, and before I could even say, hello, Mark, he was already apologising. And, uh, and I mean, because he is that sort of guy, isn't he? He, he's a, he is a nice fella and, and he, he felt really bad about it. I'm sure Serena will do the same to Mike Dixon next <laughs> time she sees I'm him. I'm sure. Uh, and, and Mark did say to me, uh, by the way, I trashed my hotel room. You got me so angry <laughs> for chasing me. I'm like, oh, OK, sorry about that. But anyway, uh, so that's my story. Um, so, yes, yeah, Serena uh, decided to go absent without leave from a press conference and I think she she dealt out what somebody counted up actually counted up a 63 word statement is is what she gave do you think that actually came from the 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 mouth and the heart of Serena Williams I I suspect it was a collaborative (laughs) effort um but look that I kind of get it I mean you know a player who's been playing the sport for 20 years who comes back she's just played by her standards really disappointing tennis and it's not really happening 
they don't want to talk about it. It is their job, but they they just some of them just think forget this. I get why she I get why she felt that way. I also get why the on-site journalists, you know, but we were particularly hearing on Twitter from the the British ones, you know, whose publications have paid a lot for them to be there on site. And if all you're getting is a is a, a, a WTA collaborative statement, then there's really no value. It, it's hard to justify in future being there on site if you're not actually hearing from Serena yeah, Williams, no, which is tough. the story. It's, I, yeah. Um, what did you actually make of Serena Williams' level of play? Well, I didn't see the whole match. I saw some of it. And look, I think it goes more or less with what we... We were talking at the start of this year about how exciting it was that all these all-time greats were coming back into the mix. And I think we did did cite a notion of caution, a note of caution, that it's probably going to take them a little bit of time to, to get back up to speed. I would say, in a way, it's more jarring than, than I anticipated, seeing how short a form, particularly Novak Djokovic, looks right now. I mean, he had another straight set loss to Benoit Paire and, and really looked bereft and out of form and out of puff out there as though he just got no, no energy in him to, to, to fight off the situation that he was in. Serena Williams, she was playing the champion in Indian Wells who was, who was really playing well and Serena just isn't ready yet. She's not playing well enough yet. It's going to take a while for, for the timing to come. The problem they have is that these level of events, when they're not seeded very highly, they have very little protection from the better players and if you look through the depth of the field, you're talking about the top 50, 60, 70 people in the world. They're not mugs. These people can play. They also sense... I, I spoke to a couple of coaches this week at BT Sport about how this locker room thing works. And the moment that players see a bit of vulnerability, they pounce, they grow they in stature themselves and they believe they can beat them. And you saw that in Naomi Osaka in her slightly awkward, goofy way. She had gone from just being in awe of Serena Williams which she still is on one level, to thinking, yeah, my tennis is good enough. I can beat you, and I'm going to beat you. Yeah. I, it's going to take a while. I think it's a very different situation, obviously, but also in terms of how they're behaving on the court to Novak Djokovic, who we'll talk about in a moment. I, I think that I was surprised at her level. I wasn't necessarily expecting her to win, um, but I was expecting her to somehow be able to make more of a match of it than that. And I suspect from the reaction, you know, from getting in the car and not wanting to talk about it in any way. Um, and bear in mind, Serena has been a one of the masters of getting through a press conference without saying, you know, it is possible to get through, you know, like at the US Open 2015, a press conference without saying anything and, will, you know, fulfil your obligation without saying anything at all. Um, I suspect that reaction indicates she was a little startled um, by her level as well. Um, that was the biggest test we've seen of her level. Yes, I know there was the, the Venus match, but there's so much that goes in tow with that. I think this was the biggest test we've seen and she was nowhere near um, and I, I think she was a little startled. I I, I think she felt, and I, I probably felt this as well, not so did, that because she's Serena Williams, she somehow would be able to find a way to to make it competitive you know there's it's that it's that uh, in impalpable 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 unfathomable you know defying logic x factor um and it wasn't there um and the problem it, it was she's got two problems the seeding issue she's going to keep getting draws like that until botro has had to fight his way through that he spent yeah. a year and a half two years fighting his way through that and also the fact that clay is coming up now i know She's a French Open champion. She she can play on clay, but it is not the ideal place for her to be finding her rhythm No, and, and her feet. I, I think that these players must take this pretty hard in a way. Uh, they, they have to somehow psychologically just deal with this and give themselves a break because in the back of their minds, they must still be thinking, I'm, I'm Serena Williams, I'm Novak Djokovic. Look at my record. Look at how I dominate these people. You know, sometimes when we haven't, commentated for a long time we haven't done a podcast for a long time and you you get you you start doing it and you start to think i wonder if i can still do this how, how do you do this again and you hope that it happens and the the difference is that you know we're not being tested by a win or a loss it's not it's not like that you don't see it this glaring you succeeded or you failed 
via result and that's what you get in professional sport like this one-on-one competition and the moment that they lose and they lose in straight sets we're all talking about it and and just highlighting the difference between what they were before and what they are now it must really wind them up and and in Djokovic's case we talked about it last week you came up with that, that really good analogy I thought of of uh, or maybe a couple of weeks ago of being Superman you're going to try and do a Superman analogy every week now oh Superman under the influence of kryptonite by Catherine Whitaker. Uh, that, that was a corker um, and but that's what it is like. It, he he feels mortal in a way that he hasn't in the last few years before, say, well, well, what was it, 18 months ago. What I don't understand about Novak Djokovic, who lost out to Benoit Paire very tamely a couple of days ago in Miami, um, it's not necessarily the, the, the level of level of play, which we know isn't isn't anywhere near what it what it can be. He looked exhausted, as you yeah. say. He looked out of path. Now that was a just not even an hour and a half match. I don't think six three, six four, uh, something like that. I'll double check the scoreline. Certainly, certainly no more than that. It might even have been six three, six two. Um, and he looked completely. He, he looked flat throughout. There was no defiance, and it, but it was the physical exhaustion that really startled me and I don't know what to make of that and I'm not sure he knows what to make of it all he could say in his press conference he kept on coming back to saying I'm trying yeah I'm trying I felt quite sorry for him to be honest yeah <laughs> which seems and ridiculous it, he obviously you know, is you to, know, be, and, to feel sorry for somebody who's won 100 million dollars and has won 11 slams and dominated the tennis world doesn't I, mean you don't have emotions I, no I don't I don't like seeing people that are that good um really just not able to do it must be confused it must be a completely bewildering feeling to but i don't but i i don't know what to attribute that that exhaustion to Mm. it that you can't attribute that to the to the elbow has he not been able to get enough match practice in maybe it's that but could be psychological but it could could be a bit of it could be because he looked you know over five sets the australian open yes the match against chung was was a disappointing performance for him but physically he seemed up up to it I thought we did you know I, I thought physically seemed okay so over two sets here for for him to look like that I found really startling well, and that if you think back uh, it has been a feature to some degree over the last 18 months now many of his supporters when I, I've, I've said this in the past have said well no hold on he he's he's had a really bad injury that's the main reason he his form is so much much less than it than it normally is and, and yes he has had a really serious injury and we don't know how badly impeded he still is but I think the psychological effects the weight on his shoulders of knowing that he's having to deal with that sort of injury and that and, and that he's not what he used to be at the moment it it puts a downer on him and and that's what it feels like. It feels like he's playing under a cloud at the moment. Yeah, and also, and also, I I agree. The injury, without question, has been a factor. But he has also more than hinted at issues with with motivation. I don't think that's an issue now necessarily. It doesn't seem like that to me. Um, but he has hinted at that um, over the course of the last sort of eighteen months since that query loss at Wimbledon. Has he? He's he's given us a glimpse of that himself. So it's not a huge leap to suggest that there's been a bit more going on than than just the elbow um i promise we talk about kokonakis and oh, we haven't yet so pleased I, yeah. I, I i had my finger hovering over the button to remind everybody of the interview you did with him at queen's last year and when, one of my favorites ever yeah when he detailed the extent of the injury problems he's had because it's pretty heartbreaking to listen to him and how close he was to giving the sport up and just going on the route and there's nothing wrong with this at all but going on the route that his brother went on and go to university get get a trade etc and not be a tennis player anymore and and here's a guy who's in his early 20s with so much promise he's so likable and to see him out there against Federer I know it was Federer well short of his best but that that should not detract from the achievement of Kakanakis because I was watching those live scores. I was commentating on a on another match at the time, but I was corner of the eye watching the live scores and just thinking how long until Federer at four all, five all, eventually wins this match, even in the tiebreak. Just you know, he doesn't tend to lose from situations like that, and somebody who might have performed pretty well until that point often just can't quite get over the line. So the fact that Kakanakis did, huge credit to him. And I just let's just hope he has a real 
number of years to to show what he can do because it's it's all there. He has got Fernando Vidasco next, which will definitely have been played by the time that you listen to this. <laughs> so another say, opportunity yeah. for a, an already silly prediction. Yes, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go for Tanasi. Are you? Do you yeah. think you can continue the yeah. run? Go on, Tanasi. Um, we shouldn't be biased. Here yeah, on I, don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to plug my own I mean it was it was all Cock and Arcus's work really he was an absolute joy to interview but that interview really if you want a glimpse into to what he went through a truly frank it's it's still quite or maybe increasingly a rare thing to get a truly frank unfiltered interview with with a sportsman like that and it completely is and you know talking about how he genuinely considered giving up the game he's still yeah. so young he's so young well, there's a moment as well you talk about 20. how, un- how he's only 20 21 maybe you talk about how unusual it is to give a frank interview when when he gave his first answer detailing the catalogue of injuries that he'd endured or, or actually no it was, he initially said I, I definitely considered retiring and and then you said um I, I i'll move on in a minute but can you give me an example of or remember the lowest point for you and when you were asking that questions a question i'm slightly cringing in as much as oh, i'm I've, I've no it was a great question <laughs> but it's one of those where i felt like we're about to slightly impose on somebody's grief almost of, of what they've gone through it was the it was the right question but it, but any time you ask the right question of that ilk you are slightly on the edge of your seat not knowing how they'll react i thought there was a chance he could have said can you you know can you just leave me alone Uh, but he didn't (laughs) he didn't he gave you a really nice considered answer and told you what he'd been through and 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 you got a full insight to how bad the shoulder surgery had been all these parts of the body that just when he thought he was back his body had failed him again and it i I think I think these players they find it so hard to deal with injuries. I would crikey, it must be it must be soul destroying. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Other casualties of the Sunshine Swing in Miami, David, include, but are not limited to, Simona Halep. Yeah. He lost out to Radvanska, who's suddenly, who's, who's had a good result. Yes, and, it, and he's starting to remind us how, how good she is and how effective her game is. And I mean, look, you know, there's some, there's some people who, watch, who listen to this podcast who, who are not tennis hardcores, you know, don't watch people like Agnieszka Radvanska all the time. 
make sure you do make sure you you get your chance to see her do what she do because it's different i was watching monica nicolescu the other day against sloan stevens it was so funny to watch Uh, nicolescu hit i think about 40 to 50 drop shots during the match i mean every point was right rally 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 drop shot come in let's see what you can do (laughs) and 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 radvansky you get that she was she was messing with the mind of simona halep but again you also have to make the point that Halep has has come up short and it, it's it's frustrating as well to, to watch her not being able to produce but generally speaking yeah I, I today is is a match again you'll probably know the result by the time uh, you listen to this between Azarenka and Radvanska oh. I just love the fact that they are playing each other again yeah. Do you know it is four years I think since they last played each other and yet they've played each other 12 times over the course of time and I'm just really pleased that they're playing each other. Uh, we've also lost Kei Nishikori to Juan Martín del Pocho, who continues his charge. Not that that's a, a notable result in itself. You'd expect on current form del Potro to win that one comfortably, as he did 6-2, 6-2. But it is a reminder for all of us getting excited about the shots of Andy Murray hitting a tennis ball um, again in Nice. Uh, as he was reported to have been doing um, over the weekend. It's his first tentative steps back onto the tennis court. It's a reminder of how long a road back it yeah, is. Yeah, and, and that's that's something I think everybody's got to ready themselves for. There's a lot of Andy Murray fans listening to this right now, and, and even if you're not, you, I mean, unless you're a really unpleasant human being, you're not going to be sitting there thinking, I hope he bombs, you know. <laughs> it, it's not pleasant to watch great players look so uncomfortable out there on the, on the tennis court and yeah let's hope Andy Murray is able to to not have the issues that, that Novak Djokovic is having right now but the chances are he's going to look pretty clunky earlier especially as these are these players share a commonality of relying on their physical fitness yeah. relying on their physicality and, and their movement and it's, again these are such tentative reports but Simon Briggs uh, reported uh, Simon Briggs of the Telegraph reported in, in his piece about Andy Murray hitting the ball that he was a bit taken aback at how um, how off the ball, if you'll pardon the pun, his movement was. But then pointed out that, you know, of course that's to be expected, but it's still a startling sight to see some somebody, you know, who the last time we saw him was world number one, yeah. to be struggling for movement. So anyway, long road back. We've also lost, David. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Initials GD. Yeah, what's happening? What is happening? <laughs> to Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah, he, uh, he struggles at this period of the year, which seems to me completely counterintuitive. He, he's got a great game for hard courts. He loves the, the warmth and, and, you know, that, that part of the, the, the world should suit him perfectly. LA, Miami, yeah. it's got GD written all over it. <laughs> and, and a year ago, you know, night sessions, prime time, all this stuff. A year ago, he comes out of the Australian Open having um, reached the semis, had that incredible match with Nadal. He won the tournament in Sofia. He got, I think he got to quarters or semis in Rotterdam. And you're thinking, right, here we go. This is him. This is Dimitrov who's going to make his statement. And he went and he, he, he had match points against Jack Sock in his first match in Indy Wells, and he lost. He then went to Miami, he lost to Guido Payer. And look, Guido is a good player, but it should not be happening. This fortnight, he, he lost, um, I can't even remember who he lost to in Indian Wells, but he lost early on in Indian Wells, and then in Miami last night, he lost to Jeremy Shardy. You know, it's, and again, Shardy's a good player, but his record, I believe, is five wins and seven losses in Indian Wells, and seven and seven in Miami. I, 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 that does not make any sense on paper to me. I don't get it. And he's, you know, from all the reports we're reading, he's trying. He's training. Yeah, Danny Valverde's putting him through his paces. Yeah, and we, you know, we're we're big fans of Danny Valverde's a, a, approach with him, and in general, the the results speak for him themselves and his general demeanor in himself and and the whole approach of progress not perfection however this isn't progress when when your mantra is progress not perfection and you're not making progress i don't know where you go with that and actually this year at the australian open um i mean he had that one really good performance against kyrgios uh but throughout the the australian summer he, he was struggling with the serve and yeah um the thing with him is he does seem to go in these spells um, and swings of form Yeah, there was the, the clay court spell a couple of years ago. Obviously, started by that awful turn of events in uh, Istanbul, yes. where he lost seven in a row. Was it? Yeah. Culminated in him 
crying in a press conference room inches inches oh away from it was, I I better put my it was as on. bad for me as it was for, for Grigor I'm sure uh, Milos Raonic <laughs> Have you noticed Can, it's just gone cloudy? I am <laughs> really I'm noticing cloudy. with every core, every fibre of my being, David, who is still wearing his sunglasses. It's go, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's genuinely grey sky above just because we've just been talking about Gregor Dimitrov. I sensation in my fingers. Yeah. Uh, Milos Raonic and Goran Ivanovic continue <laughs> their Great. harmonious, beautiful, functioning relationship. Yes. Yes. Certainly on the basis, basis of results anyway. Um, and, yeah, what have we got? We had Kiki Burton. Oh, this was a cool yeah. cat. I was commentating on this last night. And the, the story of it, Venus Williams goes five love up after about eight minutes uh, against Kiki Burton's. And playing brilliantly was Venus. And Burton's was just struggling in a, the pace of the match. I, I, first time they'd played each other, I got the sense that the, the aura of Venus was, was a little too much for her. She took one of those on-court coaching timeouts and normally we know that uh, Kiki Burdens is um, coached by Raymond Sluter, who I believe is is not there for personal reasons just at the moment. A lovely fellow he is. And onto the court came Elise Tomiella, um, who is also somebody who coaches Alexander Krunic from time to time. Now, incredible backstory she's got, some of it really quite heartbreaking. I was reading Ben Rothenberg's piece in the New York Times about how she was a former player, and a few years ago she got basically assaulted by the 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 father of another player Uh, i think when she was doing some coaching actually uh tommy ella and she got knocked unconscious um she ended up having concussion she was uh really struggling for for a number of months went out and started coaching krunich felt from what i read that that she was probably never going to coach another player she got brought in to help out with burton's here and onto the court she came five love down I don't understand the conversation because it's in a language I don't speak. But you could see the body language, which is what I'm taking from it. They, and David is a, a master in re- reading foreign body language. Yes. And so <laughs> Burton's suddenly at the, at the end of this, this uh, coaching timeout in which she's obviously, you know, pretty mortified with the way things are going generally. Love five down after 10 minutes. She suddenly started to smile at the end of it. She went out and she won seven games in a row. And she won the set 7-5. And this carried on. She very nearly won the match. In, uh, she had another coaching timeout where, where she recovered in a set, having had, had the coaching input from Elise Tomiella again. I mean, goodness knows what this woman was saying. But Danielle Rossing, who we do know, uh, knows what was being said, uh, a reporter for, for CNN and, uh, and Forbes, was saying that she basically said to her, listen, you've got to stop thinking about the score. You've just got to hit out go for your shots and just work really hard stop worrying about the scoreline I mean you know whatever it was she said and that's what we were told it, it certainly worked so good for her if you would like to hear Venus more Williams David Law interpretations of body language it is available throughout the week on BT Sport thanks government yeah <laughs> um, Joe Conter your body language is suggesting that, that I am in the doghouse for making you sit outside <laughs> in what really looks like about, it's, it's about to rain <laughs> it's so cold it's <laughs> Joe Conter's won a tennis match, David. Yes, and my goodness, she was impressive. Again, she's facing Venus Williams today, so some of this might be a bit out of date. But what I can not say... Not if you make the right prediction, it's not, David. All right, well, I'm going Joe Conter. She be- does play well against Venus, doesn't she? Well, not the Wimbledon semi-finals last well, year. Oh, she played well. No, she didn't. She got absolutely thrashed. Venus was very good. She was very good. Uh, but she did beat her in the semi-finals of Miami last year, did Conter. I thought or, she was... Or, mo- sorry, in my mind... Most of Conta's really good runs have involved a win over Venus early on. Yeah, there have been two or three of them, yeah, no question. She was she was excellent yesterday against Elise Mertens, who was not playing very well. She's not won back-to-back matches since the Australian Open semi-finals. But that was Conta from this time last year. Let's, I mean, the, the question mark is whether if she gets a bit of a shock to the system, if the confidence goes whether that changes but it was noticeable when she came out onto the court against Mertens she was smiling she was ha- she looked happy to be out there and she played like it I just you know yeah I'm going contra against Williams and y- you know you can tell me whether I'm right or not right I am now. too I was impressed against Mertens I was quite worried about her coming to Miami I thought 
it could have worked the completely opposite way that you know the pressure of being defending champion would would only add to the whatever stress she's she's already stress and pressure and tension she's already feeling but actually it seems to have you know the 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 good feelings as tennis players say um of of winning there last year sort of seems to be coursing through her veins again and it's it's giving her something uh, and it seems to be having the opposite rather more desired effect so uh looking forward to this being out of date after she's lost to venus <laughs> and uh what other business do we have that doesn't involve dodgy predictions we probably should david touch upon a and now well not out of date story because actually i don't think the story is, is necessary particularly about um this revelation but of course um uh, the, the story broke just as we were recording last week's podcast of Martina Navratilova giving a, a very candid interview to, to BBC's Panorama uh, explaining how when uh, BBC pay grades were revealed and she discovered what John McEnroe was being paid for his work on the BBC television team at Wimbledon, she was horrified to realise that it was 10 times the sum that she, a 19-time uh, Grand Slam champion and 9-time Wimbledon champion, was being paid now. Um, they don't do the same quantity of work. That much is true. But John McEnroe certainly doesn't do 10 times the work of Martina Vratilova. The BBC statement uh, pointed to McEnroe being the face um, of their Wimbledon coverage in a way Martina isn't. On, quite honestly, that could be read both ways. You know, that, that could be read as sexism in itself, the decision for him to be... Um, the face of the coverage and, and not her or an alternative female like like Chris Everett. The point is, I think, that in the, whatever you think about those pay grades, however, I, I've seen a lot of um, coverage and debate about it, about their various qualities as commentators and who qualitatively people prefer, which I think is completely beside the point. That is subjective. Um, and the, <laughs> the, there is no way you should be employing people in in vaguely equivalent positions on on pay disparity of that nature and um the issue i have with um comments such as gender wasn't a factor in these decisions is it completely i just think people so much miss the point about what gender discrimination discrimination of any kind is is very rarely men sitting in rooms going oh I'm going to pay her less because she's a woman and I don't like women and women are less valuable than men it is a systemic um, often subconscious um, and completely ingrained valuing of male voices and male opinion above women's and devaluing of women's and a lot of people very innocently won't realise how Sexist or or any other kind of discrimination. Uh, obviously, we're talking about gender discrimination in this is, instance. They won't realise um, that that's the case, and that absolves responsibility to a certain extent. I, I do think a lot of us should be doing a lot more self-examination than we're doing, rather than resting on our laurels and saying I'm not a sexist because I'm not an evil man in a room twiddling my fingers, deciding to pay women less. But I just think the point that we're missing or a lot of us are missing is the systemic nature of of the problem that's that's the point i think i want to make about it rather than anything specific about what any one organization is paying any one individual over another i think we need to realize that it's not about individual decisions and the justifications that were given when they were made it is about the completely systemic problem that we have and that we need to examine ourselves for yeah well, I, I'd agree there certainly is an examination needed to take place there. Fundamentally, if two people are doing the same job, the same role, yeah, I, there should be equal equal pay for it. I think, I think um, certainly in the case of those two individuals, tennis records-wise, you could argue certainly Martin and Avratilova is one more. I mean, to me, that they're, they're, they're equivalents in terms of their greatness on the whole. I, I think of them in the same in the same way as just great Wimbledon champions and and multiple Grand Slam winners and former world number ones. That's how I I would think of them. I, I think that I've commentated with Martin and Avratilova. I think she's excellent. She she gives an insight 
almost unlike anybody else I've ever commentated with. I, I notice she notices things that that nobody else I've ever commentated with does, um, and so you know I can't speak highly enough of, of how good she is. Uh, so so all of those elements, she, she's widely recognised as being one of the all time greats as, as well. The the, the workload wise, I mean I can't I can't comment on how much exactly they do. Uh, that that that's just I'm just not not familiar with that obviously John McEnroe does more and he is promoted as the face of the coverage there's no question about that I mean I think generally speaking he is one of the great success stories of of BBC broadcasting of tennis over the last 20 years he has completely reinvented himself uh, in the eyes of certainly the British public generally based on his work at Wimbledon so he's in, he is incredibly popular now there's a lot of people on social media that have come back to me and said he's, an, he's awful he doesn't do any research he doesn't know anything he gets names wrong he, gets, he doesn't know the results personally I, I'm, I don't want to watch him for that. I, I, I'm, that that's not really why I watch John McEnroe there's usually somebody else next to him who knows all that stuff I find him highly entertaining whether that should equate to how much he gets paid is, is another matter yeah yeah I, I think we've covered it yes he's still not taking his sunglasses off though no well it's dark he doesn't want to look me in the eye I think that's what's going on here um, yeah the sun uh, is showing no signs of returning <laughs> so um, I would quite like to retreat somewhere and regain feeling in my extremities if that's alright are there any other tennis related subjects david that you wish to cover don't think so don't think so i I think it's you know i'm going to go and commentate now on matches that i've just predicted and you know the results of (laughs) (laughs) which is a slightly strange sensation (laughs) so we'll see how that goes uh yes david law's commentary available on bt sport throughout the week um we are brought to you as always in association with the telegraph and with eurosport with Lamanga club who are still offering uh their discount to tennis podcast listeners t podcast 18 uh is the promotion code to enter and that gives you 10 percent off accommodation and off their tennis packages uh, so check that out on their website we're also brought to you in association with our executive producers triple s melanie bows and tennisballs.com and with the immortalized in artwork charlie the ferret we will see you next week 